Welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor, where life, sports, and medicine intersect. I'm your host, Dr. Derek Burgess. So it's funny because I had a lot of people that told me I couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, and like people who actually laughed when I said I was going to keep fencing and start med school at the same time. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? I can totally do this. And now that I've done both of them, I also, I understand why people said, you know, I don't think you can do this, but it's super difficult. All right. So welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor. And today we have the epitome of where life, sports, and medicine intersect, Dr. Kamali Thompson. So she is an intern in orthopedic surgery, which is very exciting, as well as a national champion fencer. Um, and we'll talk more about her fencing career and all the different things, opportunities that it's opened up for her uh, in this episode. So first, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's really Absolutely. exciting. Hey, no, I'm glad to have you on. Anytime you can find an orthopedic surgery resident doing something like this, you got to have them on, right? Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> All right. So tell us about where you grew up and kind of what led you to fencing or your love for fencing medicine. Let's talk about all of that. Yeah, so I grew up in um, a town called Teaneck, New Jersey. It's North Jersey, about 15, 10, 15 minutes from New York City. It's a really great place to grow up. It's very diverse. Um, all different religions, ethnicities. Um, and it was really good for me because, you know, I really enjoyed it. I had, I'm from a middle-class family. Definitely didn't ever see myself doing something as like prestigious as fencing growing up. I used to be a dancer. And for me growing up, dance was my whole life. So I was going to um, go to college, be a dancer. I was going to like start my own dance school. Like that was where I saw myself going. Um, and then when I was in eighth grade, I was on my way to uh, an open house with my mom for my our high school. We have one high school in TNAC. And I'm walking to the dance room with her. We passed this cafeteria. There was a fencing demonstration on, going on. So my mom was like, ooh, what's going on in here? And I was like, who cares? Like, let's get to the dance room. Because I'm trying to see, like, that's where I'm trying to be the next yeah. four years, you know? And then she ends up talking to the coach whose daughter um, at the time went to Princeton. She was a fencer at Princeton. And then she later went on to become a bronze medalist in the 2012 Olympics. So my coach is selling it. She's like, oh, dance is great. Like she's going to have such a great background because of her agility and because of her grace and all that. And she can get a scholarship to college. And my mom was like, oh, that's all I have to hear. You're going <laughs> to so, start fencing and dance. It's like later for that. Yeah. So dancing just kind of faded out at that point. Yeah. So yes and no. Um, I had been dancing outside of school for a little bit. Um, my dance school closed. So kind of, I guess like fate, you could say my mom was looking for something else to get me into because the, the closest other dance school was too far for her to take me to after work. Um, so I danced in school and then we had like different academies. So I was in the arts academy and I like took extra dance class instead of going to gym but my mom made it very clear like this is a limited extracurricular activity it's not going to get in the way of fencing and junior year I kind of had to choose between the two so she chose fencing for me and then I kind of started fencing more and dancing less. So did you immediately say okay I'm giving up dancing and I love fencing or was it kind of a struggle back and forth early on? So I hated it I hate it fencing. I was so angry that I had to do that. And my mom is, my mom's like hardcore. You're not arguing with her. She, you just, you can't win the fight, you know? Yeah, so yeah. I didn't have like any, any say in the matter. My first like two weeks of practice, I was like in the corner, so mad, hands folded. Like I did not want to be there. And then to add insult to injury, the fencing gym was right around the corner from the dance room. So 
like to go into the locker room, like I was with my friends and then they went to the dance room and then I'm in the fencing gym. And if I like poke my head out, I could see them. And I'm like, I don't want to be here. Like, I don't right. Torture, torture. Yeah, it was awful. Now, what, how long did it take you to kind of pick up and say, okay, fencing's not bad. I might be pretty good at it. So freshman year, I fenced, was not a fan. And then I came back sophomore year and sophomore year is when I found out I was really competitive. And I hated losing. So I was fencing these girls. Um, some of the some of the varsity members got injured or something. So I ended up being varsity that year. Or like kind of like here and there, I was fencing in varsity. So uh, I hated losing these people. I was like, what's going on? And then there were new people that came onto the team. So I felt like there were more people who I was able to connect with. Fencing has a stigma for having a lot of nerds on the team. It's it's true. There are a lot of nerds on the team. And I was just like, I don't really connect with these people freshman year, but sophomore year, I had a lot more friends and I really enjoyed going to practice. And then I started liking fencing too. Gotcha. And at what point did you start competing from a fencing standpoint? So I started fencing um, like in high school, in the competitions, I would say sophomore year. So freshman year, I fenced a couple of times and then sophomore year, I was fencing more regularly. And then we have this really big competition in New Jersey. So New Jersey is like the Mecca of high school fencing. Yeah, um, okay. So we have a lot of schools that are fencing in high school. And there used to be a huge competition called freshman, freshman sophomore and all of the freshmen fence and then you fence to there's one winner and all the sophomores fence and you fence to there's one winner. And I'll never forget, I lost to this girl to make top eight and top eight, they got these crazy big trophies. And I was so <laughs> mad because I lost like two points and I cried the whole way home. And like at the next day from my coach and I was like, how do I get better? Because that girl is lame and I don't want to lose it anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> so she's lame and a nerd and she just I took my like, trophy, right? Yeah, I looked her up on um, Facebook a couple of years ago. Like, what is she up to? Yeah. <laughs> she has trophy. That's um, funny. Yeah, it is. So, so I, she told me about this fencing club in New York City because she told me that, like, listen, if you want to get better, you have to fence more than just in the high school season during high school. Like, these people that are beating you, they have private coaches. They go to fencing clubs. Like, it's really an investment of time and, and you know, money. But she told me to go to this fencing club in New York City called the Peter Westbrook Foundation, which is a club that was created by the six-time Olympian, Peter Westbrook, who is um, half Japanese, half African-American. And the purpose of the club is for minorities in the, in the New York City area that come from uh, lower socioeconomic backgrounds. So I go to this club the beginning of junior year and it's like all these super really cool like black people from Brooklyn from Harlem from Newark New Jersey and I was like oh my god this is amazing and mm. and it was crazy because some of them were were also New Jersey fencers and they were really good so I was like oh this is why you guys are so good like this is the spot now I can get better so I started working with them and then my senior year I started traveling to national competitions so did it change kind of your perspective after you were able to see more people looking like you doing the, the sport of fencing? Yeah, so I so this so I started fencing in 2004, right? And the Olympics were in 2004. So I didn't know at the time I wasn't really paying attention, but when I walked into the club there were these two people and my mom was like, "Oh my god, they were in that soy milk commercial." So um these two, this brother and sister, Keith and Aaron Smart, they're both Olympic medalists from uh, 2012 Olympics. So, you know, just seeing people like that and like, oh my God, these people aren't commercials and they're black people. And they have degrees from like Columbia and from Wharton and they have full scholarships to like division one school. It was so eye-opening because number one, I think most people 
uh, at a high school level, you don't you don't really know people that get Div One scholarships sure. unless you go to like a really good school where you know people were are are good at sports. Which Tina High School, like we're all right, but we're not like that good. So it was like, wow, all you guys have scholarships to colleges, and they're really good colleges. And then fencing, like schools that have fencing, are really good schools, right? right. So you just look at that in opportunities, and you're like, this is amazing. And then you add to that that they are world champions and like Olympic medalists, and it just it's a room full of success. It's like right. at first you're like so overwhelmed because you're like, how is all this happening? And then everyone looks so normal, you know. So it's not like you know, they don't look extra rich or, or anything like that. It's like, everyone's really normal. So it was very exciting to be in the same room as them. No, that's important. And then your brother is also a fencer. Did he get started at the same time or did you start to get good at it and then he got started or what? Yeah, so um, so the Peter Wester program, it, the way it starts or the way you kind of get introduced to it is on Saturday mornings, there's a program for kids that are between like, seven, eight to 18 years old. And you go on Saturday mornings from nine to 12, you either learn how to fence or if you're intermediate, then you're just fencing like the people at your level. And then once you get good enough, they invite you to come during the week. So it's September 10th or something like that, my junior year. And my mom is like, well, I'm going to New York City to take Kamali to this fencing club and you're nine years old talking to my brother. So you got to come with me because like, I'm not going to keep you home by myself, by yourself, you know? So we, we get in the car and we, and we go and then Khalil is just like looking around. He's like, this is so awesome. Like everyone's just like smacking each other. So, <laughs> so there's a point where, there's a point where uh, after the warm up. Peter is like, okay, go to your like section. And Khalil just ran off. He's like, I'm going with those kids who look like the same as me. And he had a blast. Mm -hmm. And that day, it was like one of the worst days ever for me because uh, I didn't think, I thought it was like an instructional day. I didn't think we were actually me practicing. So I wore jeans, even though my mom <laughs> told me not to wear jeans. Yeah. So then, so then Peter's like, okay, everyone go to their section. And mind you, this is the best fencers in, in New Jersey high school. So I'm seeing all of them and I'm like, oh my God, I have jeans on. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> my mom was like, oh, well, I told you not to wear jeans. So right. like get out there. So then I had to fence them all in jeans and they still make fun of me to this day for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Now your brother, he's, uh, did he make the Olympics in Tokyo? Yeah, he sure did. So my brother's an Olympian, very exciting. No, that's he, cool. Yeah, cool. and he fenced really well, and it's like it was really exciting. I started crying when he when I was watching him fence like uncontrollably. But yeah, he did great. Oh, that's excellent, excellent. So on top of the, you have fencing at a high level, but you also wanted to be a doctor. So at what point did you decide med schools for me? So I've always wanted to be a doctor um, since I was like three or four years old. I really enjoy. I really enjoyed going to the pediatrician. I love getting shots. I got really <laughs> upset after 12, like when I didn't get shots anymore. And I was like, this isn't fair. <laughs> Can I get more shots? Yeah. I'm like the only kid ever who enjoyed shots and the lollipop and all that. But I just, I love my pediatrician, how she made me feel and like how safe I felt with her. And I was like, oh, I really want to do this for other kids. And I want to be a pediatrician. So med going to med school was never a question. Um, I was pre-med and undergrad. I uh, was a bio major. And then senior year, I'm applying for med school. Um, and then, you know, for most athletes, when you're graduating college, you're kind of like, all right, well, this is it. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm finished here. But for me, you know, I come from this club with all these really successful people and in fencing because I started to leave, I didn't have anything. So I said, all right, well, let me just keep fencing and then just go to med school. So it's a number one, med school takes a lot of commitment to just get, you know, all the different barriers to get there. 
you're balancing that with a national level fencing career as well. Speak to that because that sounds very overwhelming and daunting <laughs> task to do. So it's funny because I had a lot of people that told me I couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, and like people who actually laughed when I said I was going to keep fencing and start med school at the same time. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? I can totally do this. And now that I've done both of them, I also, I understand why people said, you know, I don't think you can do this, but it's super difficult. You know, I think, um, like you said, both med school super is very, uh, time consuming. And then when you're fencing at an international Olympic level, like Olympians in other countries are full-time athletes. They are practicing two or three times a day, six or seven days a week. Like that is, you know what I mean? And right. that's what you're doing with med school essentially. So for me, I would say the most important thing is time management. There have been points where my, like every single minute has been scheduled. Like I'm going to sleep on the train for 10, 15 minutes, I want to wake up and do more questions. Like it's a lot of sacrifice and there is, there is very little downtime, very little me time. Um, but I think it's doable if you really, like if your heart's really in it and you have a passion for it, then you can make it work. So I want you to speak on that because becoming successful in anything can be very lonely. Um, and I can imagine fencing, which is not a team, it is a team sport, but it's a very individual sport. So you're not around a lot of people, number one. And then separate from all the people who are on your fencing team, you're trying to get into medical school. And now, you know, in residency or going through medical school, trying to match into one of the most competitive specialties in orthopedic surgery. I can't even imagine the commitment that it took. So head off to you with that, but talk to the mental focus and just the drive that it took to actually achieve and to, you know, in both things at the same time? Yeah, I think um, the first thing my mom used to always say to me is you can't be everywhere with everyone um, all the time. And I hated that because I started med school in my young 20s and I was fencing in my young 20s. And I just like all my friends, like 21, 22, right? That's exactly when you need to be everywhere. Right. <laughs> so I was so upset because there was a lot that I had to miss out on. And I think my internal compromise was just not to miss really important things. So I think at the end of the day, like you don't want to have any regrets in life. There are a lot of successful people that have not had the social experiences that they you know, wish they could have had. And I never wanted to have that. I never wanted to like have an Olympic medal, but I don't have any friends. Like that was not something I was willing to trade. So um, I always knew when to say no and when, when to say yes, because if you're just in med school or if you're just training, you know, you're going to have a lot of, a lot of loneliness, a lot of like me time, but you also need to be able to re-energize yourself and and see people and and just really get your mental focus back on track so for me that's seeing my friends that's seeing my family that's like remembering that there's an outside world to whatever I'm doing so I never had any any regrets on on things that I missed because I made sure that I picked and I chose what was really important to me so I say that's number one a lot of med students like I noticed when I was in med school were like so focus on studying and then they looked up and it was like 10 months later and they hadn't seen anyone and I was like that's that's not good for your mental health like that's not good for work-life balance so I would say that's number one and then number two is like sacrifice right so if you're committing to something you have to fully commit to it and I think something that kind of helped me was knowing that there were people in both lanes that only did that one thing because that's what kept me going like I can't afford to take a day off of studying 
because I already went to practice three times this week and all my med school classmates have only been studying this week. Or I can't afford to skip practice this week because, you know, that Russian girl, that French girl, that Italian girl, they've all been training for the last two weeks nonstop. And I just had an exam last week, so I couldn't really train. So just knowing that there were people out there that had more time than me always fueled me to keep working harder. Yeah, that's excellent. So it was a juggling act. And tell us about, you know, as you become a national champion and then set your eyes toward the Olympics, as you progress through medical school, getting ready for the match, how you kind of balance the two of those. Oh, man. So, <laughs> so med school for me was a constant juggling, um, juggling match because I was training for the Olympics like throughout med school, which meant that sometimes I had to take time off of med school. So I was in med school for nine years, actually, because I went to med school for two years and then decided to go get my MBA because I wanted to be a pediatrician and own my own practice. And I was training for the 2016 Olympics, which I was alternate for. Then I came back after 2016 and then I did third year of med school. And then I decided I wanted to do orthopedics because that was the first time I had been introduced to that. And then uh, they took two years off for that. <laughs> and then I was training for the 2020 Olympics. So um, I think that the most important thing for me when I was in med school and training for the Olympics was always having a plan, like a, a four year plan. Cause that's how the Olympic works. And that's how academia works like in four year cycles. And then breaking that down to like one year and then six months and three months and, and knowing what I had to do each day essentially to make it to the next goal, which whether that was in like a week or three weeks or the next exam, the next test or whatever. Um, and then mapping out my goals and making sure that I had the whole plan set really helped me limit the amount of mistakes that I made. Yeah. I mean, it's, Number one, let's preface this by saying when you go to medical school, they don't even want you to have a job. Oh, no. Period. (laughs) My school is so sick of me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you go to medical school and it's like, I mean, literally a 80 hour work week, so to speak, job because you have to go to class, you have to study. And then there's like no downtime. You take a test and then you get back in study gear again. And, you know, you're balancing that with competing. You know, it's just, it baffles me. But you know, like I said, congratulations on all that you've been able to accomplish in such a short amount of time is really amazing. Um, now, you got to, you were alternate going into Tokyo Olympics, right? Mm-hmm. Did you actually travel with the team? I did, I did. So, um, so it was kind of unfortunate because of COVID. So, so our, the Olympic qualifying year was from 19, 2019 to 2020. Right. And it's, uh, March 2020 and as everyone knows COVID happened so we had two Olympic competitions left um, they were postponed because the Olympics were postponed a year and then in 2021 no it's not yeah 2021 yeah. <laughs> time, <laughs> like, time stands still right yeah. in 2021 literally like the same like the same day but 364 365 days later the competition we were supposed to have picked back up so I went to that competition I did great um, me, my teammate and I did really well. She jumped ahead of me on the point standings and I was like, oh, that's fine, whatever. Like I'll do great in the next competition. And then our next competition was canceled. So unfortunately COVID got, got me and changed oh, my life. Wow. Like it changed everybody else's, but, um, because of COVID. So normally what happens is they just take the, the team is four people and I was fifth. So they just take the team for, to the Olympics, but because of COVID this year and you know, anyone can get knocked out at right. any time through the COVID. Yeah. They took extra people to the Olympics. So they took me to the Olympics. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Do you ever try to, do you ever think about, Hey, if I only did fencing or if I only did medical school, do you ever kind of ponder on that? I do. I do think about it. And I think like for sure things would be different, right? Cause there's no way I would have been able to be the same person if I was just one or the other. But I think that as a person, I would be so much more boring because <laughs> I feel like it, I've learned so much from both worlds and I've taken right. it to the other world. I think that I would have been like, I just wouldn't have been the same person at all in a bad way. So I think everything works out for a reason. You know, maybe if I just fenced, I would be an Olympic medalist. And maybe if I just was in med school, I would be like some really smart person with like a hundred publications. I don't know, but I think I'm pretty cool, right? You're an orthopedic surgery resident already. <laughs> Don't forget how many people are chasing you down for that spot as well, you know? Yeah, it's competitive out here. Very competitive. Every year is top five competitive specialties to match into. So, you know, people don't just walk into orthopedics. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so talk about that experience of being in Tokyo and seeing the U.S. flag go up and knowing that you're representing your team. What's that feeling like? It was like? so amazing. We, so, um, the I've heard stories for years, right? Because I'm, you know, I, my club has all these Olympians. Uh, as I start to travel with Team USA, I get really close with the older girls who are Olympic medalists as well. So they always have like stories about the Olympics. So all I keep hearing is the Olympics. So of course, naturally, I want to go. And now I'm finally here on the plane. And unfortunately, because I was in residency, I couldn't leave with my teammates because they left a week early. And I was like, they're already giving me two weeks off for this. Right. Like I can't ask for more. Thank God. So I'm I'm on the plane by myself, which was kind of sad. But um just going on the plane, the whole plane was like Team USA people, like wrestlers and gymnasts and like everyone got their stuff on. I was like, this is so exciting, like to be part of this, you know? And then, then we land and just like special treatment as soon as you land, like people are getting your bags for you. Um, the alternate stayed in a hotel, so I didn't see the village. And normally with the Olympics, um, people in the village can let you in. So obviously, because my brother was in there, I was expecting, like, let me get the hookup, but like, I couldn't get in, but which is fine. But the U.S. is the only delegation to have their own training center, which is, like, really amazing when you think about all the, like, hotshot countries that go to the Olympics. Right. So we have our own training center, and all the U.S. people train there. So I would go in for breakfast, lunch. The track girls are sitting next to me. I met Allison Felix. The soccer team rolls out while we're fencing, and, like, Megan Rapinoe was like, oh, my God, what are you guys doing? And I was like, this is so cool. So... It was really amazing to see all these people who you see on TV in real life. And then you're working out next to them. Like, you know, like you're lifting weights next to them. And I was like, this is, this is amazing. Now I'm, I'm imagining that the basketball team probably has their own facility, right? Oh, no, no, yeah, they, no, 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 no. You're, you're not hanging out with the, with the broad. Right, you're not, right, right. Yeah. They, they actually don't stay in the village because yeah. they have their own like area. Cause they're right. like celebrity celebrities. Right, like so. top notch celebrities. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now that's that's a cool experience. I'm sure you know that you'll never get as an orthopedic surgery resident. We just we're boring, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're great. Yeah. All right. So talk to me about how you've used your platform, number one, to start your own business, and then we'll also talk about how your platform is so important for people coming up behind you, because seeing someone that looks like them to want to do things like you're doing. Yeah, so uh, I started my own business. I went to business school. I learned a couple of things. I started my own business. I started off as a blog. It's called Saber and a Stethoscope. And when I started my blog, essentially, I was a third-year med student. I just wanted to kind of talk about my experiences. 
And then it transformed into this blog that served like as an like online mentor role. So, you know, I had no mentors coming to medical school, which I don't advise, by the way, get a mentor. Like I wasn't not trying to have a mentor. I just didn't have one. So I felt like I was so behind all the time on information. Like I was always finding out after everyone else. So in my blog, I like talk a lot about things that I wish I knew. And one of my best like blog posts was what I wish I knew before medical school. Um, so that's how the blog started. And then I would say last year it was like, okay, so what's next? And for me, uh, I'm really interested in helping more minorities get into medical school and like, the pre-health profession in general. I feel like we are way too, um, way too underpopulated in this field. So my next steps are, what can I do? I want to start a scholarship for African-American females to help them get into um, medical school too. So that's what I'm looking to do in my next couple of steps. Nice, nice. So tell us about this. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, naturally you gotta have merch, right? So right, gotta have merch. So I started, yeah, so I have merch. I have, um, it's like boss with a, and then I have boss, boss with a scalpel. Because, you know, I got to have a scalpel. Right, right. Also, they set the scope and boss with a sword. And I think it's great because it's, it's, it's me, right? It's like, you know, what I empower. And I think one of the cool things that it doesn't just apply to one group of people, it applies to a bunch of different people. So, you know, people who are have scalpels might not have swords, but they might not know someone who does. And you just kind of pick and choose what merch you want and give it to some friends and check out my shop on saberandestethoscope.com if you're interested. Absolutely. And we'll put that in the show notes so people will be, know how to find you. Um, you know, you're a unicorn. I mean, how many orthopedic resident or physicians in general, I'm sure there are some more physicians that are fencers, but to be able to go through medical school while you're competing simultaneously, achieve at the national level in fencing, match into your dream as far as orthopedic surgery, you know, that's a one of a kind experience. So you are so unique that your story, that's why it sells so well, right? That's why everyone, you know, when I told my daughters, I was showing them all the clips from USA Today and Good Morning America, oh, and yeah. this, that, and the third, you know, and it's amazing. Number one, thank you for taking the time out to come and speak with me um, about your life and using your platform in a positive manner because so many people will be impacted by this. Um, so I want to ask you a question. So on Time Out with the Sports Doctor, this is your final time out, right? Mm -hmm. So when I say to you that you are Black history in the making, what does that mean to you? Well, that's an that's a huge honor, first of all. Um, and I think it's it's really cool because I have started to hear that. And it's weird when you you know and you learn Black history and then someone kind of mentions that you might be Black history. You're like, wow, that's overwhelming. But I think it's, it's a responsibility. You know, if you're going to say someone is history, that means that they have the responsibility of creating a legacy that people many years, many generations to follow um, are impacted by. And I think it just means that I have to work harder to make sure that people who look like me uh, African-Americans and females really have a place where they can feel comfortable and they, they understand that they can do anything they want. Because, you know, there's nothing truly special about me that really makes me able to do all the things that I've done. It's just tenacity, uh, a lot of positivity. I'm very positive. And, you know, seeing other Black women that have done it, so I could say I've done it. So hopefully there's other people that are coming after me that say, okay, well, she did this, so I can do it too. Absolutely. And then what is it like being, you know, an icon 
on the wards when you're going through, through rotations and you run into patients saying, hey, I've seen you before, or even residents saying that, what's that like? So no patients have said that yet. Um, okay. I get stopped a lot in the elevator, which is kind of funny because sometimes I'm I'm moving quick and someone says, oh, hey, I like I saw you on Twitter. Like, <laughs> or hey, you look really familiar. I think I just saw you in Sports Illustrated. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's me. Hey, nice to meet you. Like, it's kind of cool. And it's like, you know, I don't think I'm a celebrity, but people recognize me and I don't know them. So thank you. Right. I mean, Sports Illustrated. Yeah. Not the local newspaper. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you again for your time. You know, your story is excellent. I really appreciate you coming on. And if there's anything I can do on this path to orthopedics for you, please let me know. 100%. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And that wraps up this Black History in the Making series. Of course, every month is Black History in the Making. But I hope you've enjoyed the stories of Dr. Okoraha, Dr. Hyde, Dr. Fred Jones, Noah Harris, and last but not least, Dr. Kamali Thompson. Uh, so if these episodes gave you value, please leave a five-star rating and review and share these episodes with someone else. And until later, I'll take care and be blessed. Peace.